0: 11 (laughs) o'clock give me one second I want to set a timer I want to be accountable I don't want to just rave on I don't want to do that I want to discharge what God's put on my heart at the same time I want to preach a, a sermon today I've wrestled over what to preach I had a different thing lined up but I think God has shifted this to a word that I thought I might have shared yesterday you know how it is God moves you and bumps you and speaks to you. Uh, And I want to talk today uh, on a sermon that I call How to Change When You Don't Want To. How to change when you don't want to. Is it possible? And of course the answer is no. So this is the shortest sermon you've ever heard. I'm going to close in prayer now. (laughs) One day I actually think maybe I'd like to do that and sit down to underline the point that if we're not willing, how can we move forward? how to change if you don't want to, but I want to now just give a little bit of context about what am I talking about here today. So as Angela said, we led a church for 19 years and we've both been involved in ministry for a very long time before that in in various roles uh, in the workforce and serving in the local church. And as a pastor, um, I observed at times, sometimes there are people that come into our lives and our churches and they're with you for years but they don't break through. They don't change in deep ways in their lives. And it perplexes me, and sometimes I've beat myself up. I've thought, what is deficient in me? Why can't I help these people come through in Jesus' name and with His power? Of course, it's not about me. And I spent a season maybe seven or eight years ago, I'm not sure when, and and whenever I would meet pastors who I felt had some effectiveness in their ministry, who had seen people come through, I'd ask them, why do you think some people don't change? And I'd get their feedback. I I met a couple of Christian counsellors whose job is to help people move through things, but not just in a secular mindset, but using the Word of God and Christian principles. And I'd ask them, why do you think people get stuck? And a, a passion of mine as a pastor and as a pastor teacher, as part of my gifting, is I really want to see people come through, break through, particularly big things that hold them back. And I've seen some people come spectacularly through things and others know. And I have a heart not to make people feel terrible and down and depressed about themselves, but rather, how can I help you come through? But your will is really important. How to change when you don't want to. It's good that, humanly speaking, you're never going to change if we don't want to, but God. God can break in on you, even when you're not really expecting it. You might have come today just because somebody invited you and you thought you might come, And you weren't necessarily looking at radically changing, even giving your life to Jesus completely today, perhaps for the first time. And you didn't really come prepared, but God is getting a hold of you and he wants to grab you and he wants to radically change your life and set it on a different path. He's amazing. He's like the hound of heaven who chases us. You know, the Christian walk is all about change. There is language like this, born again, a new life. We've become new creations. It says that the, the old is gone and the new has come. This change. Darkness to light, death to life, put off the old, bring on the new, glory to glory. The big picture narrative of what God is trying to do in our lives is he's trying to uh, meet us in Christ and start us on a journey with him. When I got saved, I had uh, the external things broken off me like an addiction to drugs and alcohol and crazy living. These things broke off literally overnight. But then God started the longer and perhaps more difficult process of changing Dale. And my heart and my attitudes and the difficult things that were in me. He could get rid of the drugs pretty fast. Literally, the night I got radically born again, I had this encounter with God. And then the next day, everything changed. Can I tell you a little bit about that? I just feel to share a little bit of my testimony. And it illustrates this thing, how how sometimes God just invades us when we're not expecting it. There's a suddenly, sometimes in Scripture, it's like people are gathered, they're waiting, they're not sure what would happen in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, and then suddenly, it says there's this moment, and the Spirit falls, and what? Whoa, tongues of fire, baptized, speaking in tongues, what the heck? Sometimes we get shocked about what God can do a little bit of my testimony I uh, was a very arrogant young man I said that yesterday in my teenage years I legitimately thought that Christians were crazy people I honestly in my heart of hearts felt that anybody believed there was a God had to be nuts I used to argue with Christians as a young guy like 14 say you're crazy I honestly was scratch my head what's wrong with these people And I'm going to keep this a bit of a sped-up story. Around the age of 14, I was staying with an uncle and aunt of mine who are born-again Christians, and they had some literature around, a book called Mystery 666. And it was talking about the end times. And I read this thing, and literally it frightened me. And God did something. You know, now I know he's just something of his spirit touched me. And I went from pure atheist to thinking, hang on, I can see why there's evil in the world. This book seems to make sense. And and I was like almost frightened into believing there was a God. And so something began to happen and God started chasing me. That same uh, summer where I read that book and started to believe intellectually only that there was a God. That same summer, I also started doing marijuana and hash and later on getting into magic mushrooms a lot. I was very depressed at times. Suicidal, this word. Suicidal. Suicidal. I shared yesterday that one time when I was about fifteen or sixteen, I, I put a twenty-two magnum rifle. There's a gun culture in Australia at that time. Before we brought in the new rules and laws, I remember putting. I made sure it was empty, but I put it in my mouth because I thought, well, maybe there's nothing more to life. Uh, I, I was the drugs were making me paranoid. I didn't really know it at that time, and uh, they stopped being fun. Uh, they started, started off as fun. Sometimes sin is fun, and that's why people do it. But then there's a bondage that comes with it. And, and I was so messed up, so paranoid, so living for drugs. But then when I was on them, I'd get even more confused and down. And I, I was wrestling with this thought, maybe there's a God. And I, God was chasing me. Sometimes I'd like to go and smoke drugs and sit in the bush and think about God. But I sort of worked out you shouldn't do that. It doesn't work. I couldn't really connect with him. This isn't the way. This is not the way. One night on uh, December the 18th, When I was 17, however many years ago that is, about 30, is it? 40. Oh, good grief, I'm old. And I was sitting in this room and there was myself, another guy who was as messed up as me, also suicidal, also on drugs. And then there was this Christian guy who was backslidden and he was smoking marijuana. And as a non-Christian, I looked at him, I thought, you can't smoke marijuana and and be this Christian thing. I, I figured that out before I became one. And over here was what I would call an angry, aggressive Christian. This guy frightened me, man. I was scared of him. He was so in my face about Christianity and getting saved, and he was pushing us, and he was trying to... say, And you know, they reached this point, he goes, so, do you two, Scott was the other guy, me, Dale, do you two want to get saved? And I'm like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I'm th- I honestly thought, I don't, I don't want to change. I don't want to change. I'm not ready for this. So this guy says, "Well, Scott, my friend, sorry." He said, "Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I need to. I need to become a Christian. I need to do this something." Okay, but I don't. And so we're sitting around this table in Tasmania. You've got to understand, Tasmania is the smallest state of Australia, right down the bottom. This is in the bush. We, I grew up with wallabies and possums more than people. And we're sitting around this table, very conservative culture. And this guy says, "Now we're all going to hold hands and pray." I'm like, "What? Men don't hold other men's hands." That's how I felt. You can't do that. You don't touch them. What? And i ah, so uncomfortable. And so we hold hands. I'm like, I hope this is just over soon. I don't want to change. I don't want to change. As we're holding hands, this dude starts to pray for Scott. Scott, you know, the repeat after me thing. As they start to pray, I feel this this presence coming onto me. And then I didn't know it was the Spirit of God. I'm thinking, what is happening? And then I feel this black, evil presence in me starts to rise up out of my shoulders in the shape of a man. And I'm sitting thinking, what is happening? And even as a non-Christian, I'd never been to church, not once, except for a funeral and a wedding. Never once been to church, didn't know stuff. But I'm thinking, there's a demon in me. And it's rising up out of me. I now know that my father was a grandmaster of Freemasonry Lodge. That'll give it to you. Well, drugs, that'll give it to you. I'm the sort of guy that everything I in, I really go for it. So I wanted to run Ouija board seances. So I couldn't buy one, so I made my own. I'm that sort of guy. Into everything, boots and all, destruction. And anyway, so I, I'm there and they're praying. And I'm thinking, this this spirit is, is going out of me. But I don't want to change. But God, he's doing something. He He's like it. It's like, I don't know if you know about Calvinism, there's a really strong emphasis on the sovereignty of God. It's like he's sovereignly getting me in this context. So this thing lifts out and then some of it fell back in like clunk. I don't know how much went out, 70%, 50%. A chunk went in my non-Christian brain, that's all I could explain it as to myself. But some fell back in and I thought, that's not good. (laughs) And it was like, it was, this was a hippie house. And I went to my room, which was uh, just a little room, candle, a Bible, and a mattress. And I'm freaking out. I didn't tell these guys anything. I didn't say a word. I thought, I don't know what's happened. The other guy, Scott, he said, there's demons coming out of me, left, right, and center. Something amazing's just happened. And I'm thinking, yeah, something happened to me, but some of it went back in. <laughs> and I, I don't know what this is, but it's not good. And I went into that room. And I picked the Bible up, I remember looking at this, King James didn't know which way was up, down, front, back, whatever, where to look. But in my heart, I said something like this to God, Lord I think you're right, and I'm wrong, and I'm going to try this, something like that. And there was nothing spectacular at that point, but that day, or that night, sorry, I went to bed, then the next day they say, do you want to go to church? And I thought, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go to church, we'll go and check this out a bit more. And I went to church, and I still remember the meeting. I remember the the, the public tongue and the interpretation of it. And when the guy spoke in tongues publicly, the minister did it. I thought, well, that's a Catholic priest, and he's speaking in Latin, so I suppose that's all right. Uh, I didn't know anything about anything. I had a cousin who was there. It was a small rural community. My cousin was there, and I was chatting to him afterwards, and, and I told him about how my dad needs to hear this. My dad needs to hear about Christianity and my cousin said to me, "Well, you need to sort your life out first." But you know, I went out of that place. This, this maybe it's part of my pride, I don't know. But I knew I had an encounter with God. It was radical, and I went out of that place. And I remember thinking, "Why did my cousin say that? I am right with God." I met him last night. I went up the main street of uh, that day of, of our small town, and I jumped in a car and with this dude that I used to do drugs with, or whatever. Or, How are you going? And I said, I'm oh, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, something's happened to me. I think I'm a Christian. I don't know what's going on. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, oh, you want to smoke? Yeah, sure. So whew, lighted up, nearly sick. I was about a 10-pack-a-day-week guys. not a day, <laughs> a week. And uh, I used to love smoking. I had no conviction that I, a Christian shouldn't smoke. I tried to smoke. Whoa! I would throw it out the window. I did smoke drugs one more time a week later, and I just thought, I don't want this anymore. But Jesus turned my life upside down, inside out, even when I didn't want to change. I was on a pathway. I knew that I needed to change. I needed, I desperately needed something different in life. I knew I was depressed. And the Spirit, I knew enough about Christianity to think, man, Jesus is coming back, mystery 666 thing. And if he comes back, I knew that I wasn't ready. That was sort of stirring in me, you get it, but I hadn't reached a point where I wanted to do this. I had a discussion with my cousin. We agreed that we'd do it when we were 25 when we had families, and then we'd say grace before dinner. Because we didn't know what Christianity was, but God. But God, He came and He invaded me. I want to share with you a verse that I found incredibly helpful. And the verse is in Philippians 2, 13, and it says this, For it is God who works, both to will and to do, according to His good pleasure. So I'm preaching today on how to change when you don't want to. Well, on the one hand we can't, but however, God works both to will. This means to change the way that we are thinking. This is why we can pray for somebody's salvation who at this moment in time does not want to make that commitment, or somebody in in a relationship that you're in and they don't want to submit to the ways of God in the way that they should. Their will is not there, but it is God who works both to will and to do, and to do. This is supernatural, what the world would call cognitive behavior therapy. If you go to see a secular world, often they can identify problems, but they lack the power of the Holy Spirit to bring radical change into the lives of people. But there is a biblical concept, nonetheless, of God coming and arresting our will and changing what we think we do, want to do or what we think we don't want to do, and not only to change the will, but to bring us to a place of submission to Him, but then He empowers us to do. Isn't that awesome? For it is God who works, both to will and to do, according to what? His good pleasure. What a powerful concept, reality, scripture. We have some friends that are on our eldership team, they used to work in a healing ministry. A healing ministry is a place where you go if you need healing of emotions, physical healing, deliverance, a strong emphasis on deliverance. And sometimes there's, there's two reasons why we resist change. We can have two root problems in our lives and they're in Scripture. In the Old Testament, it tells us about the root of idolatry. That when we put an idol is anything that we worship in front of Jesus. An idol is the thing that you turn to in your hour of need. An idol should be Jesus for us. We, oh, not an idol, sorry. It, it, the pure worship to the one true God. But sometimes we substitute that for other things. One of the reasons I didn't know it at the time that I was doing drugs and alcohol and crazy madness was that I was self-medicating pain, and they became my idols. They are deficient idols. They are demonic idols. They are idols of destruction, because the thief only comes to steal, kill, destroy. But the one true God, he comes to bring life to the full. So there's the root of idolatry that we need to repent from, and renounce those things, and turn to Jesus, but there's also the root of bitterness in Hebrews that can spring up and defile many. It says, and those verses in Hebrews say, watch out, watch out that you don't miss the grace of God, his unmerited favor towards us, his riches at Christ's expense, his empowering presence that comes to change the way we think and how we act. Back to my friends who worked in a healing home, and that's a lot of the, the the gist of what a healing home might be on about in many ways is, is helping people to work through those issues to come into fullness. They said they'd quite often find that when they would talk to somebody who was stuck in a sin, particularly forgiveness, forgiveness is a big deal. It is a big deal. We should not be surprised that forgiveness is a big deal to Jesus. The, the answer is pretty obvious as to why. What it cost him to be able to forgive us. And so he demands it of us that we are people who walk healed in regards to forgiveness. At times I've been in a place of bitterness. I once went for ministry in a healing home like that I was stuck. And I remember pouring my life out and I had this really, I had a lot of other problems as well. But this particular thing I was stuck with and a very gracious man was counselling counseling me, helping me to come through this. And after he'd heard it all one day, he said to me, are, are you ready to forgive now? And I said, I don't know that I am. And then I complained for another hour. And this old, godly, gracious man, after he listened to me very graciously say all the things I told him the day before, he looked at me and said, are you ready now? And he helped me to see there was no other way forward. There's no bargaining with God to get out of this root problem. I had to submit, I had to humble myself, I had to let it go, I had to forgive him. But anyway, these people in the healing home on our eldership, eh, what they like to say to people, they say, are you willing to forgive this great offence? And can I say this, sometimes the offences that happen to us, they are massive, they are massive. And I'm talking about, we, we, in our lives we've helped many people who've been sexually abused, And in a a room this size, there would be probably many people who have been sexually abused. Unfortunately, it's a demonic thing that's in our culture and societies. And so I say this sensitively. We are all called even to forgive those perpetrators of that evil. But it's not something you throw at somebody the first time you meet them. When you hear their story, you listen with compassion and you love. You know, if they have any understanding of the gospel and Christianity, they already know they need to forgive. But this is hard. This is hard. And so I'm aware that some things that can make us become stuck, they're big. But God, but God, he works to will to change the way that we think about it. But then also to do, to forgive what should be impossible to forgive. And people in the world would say, you're crazy, you don't forgive that. That's an unforgivable thing. There's nothing that's unforgivable with the grace and the power of God. I'm not really getting to the point, am I? Keep <laughs> going. These people would say, "Kim, are you willing to forgive?" And you might say, "No." Then they'd ask this question: "Are you willing to be willing to forgive?" So, ooh. So they're appealing to a part of our mind, if we're in any way a follower of Jesus, that knows we need to forgive, though there's resistance because of all of these things that we would justify our lack of forgiveness. But they're appealing to a part of us that might say, well, yes, I would be willing to forgive if I felt that I could forgive. And you can take this as far as you like. You could say, Angela, are you willing to be willing to be willing? to forgive. Take, keep taking it back until the penny drops and we realise that we have to just surrender. We have to just surrender. There's two reasons why people get stuck. The root of idolatry, of sin that we let in our life that comes and it harms. It's a false god that we worship. We need to repent of that thing. We need to renounce that thing. I couldn't repent of Freemasonry when I was set free of the demons that were in me because of my father's choices that came through a bloodline. But what I could do was renounce what he had been in and that thing over my life to be set free and have deliverance, which I needed desperately to have. It had plagued me for years and I hadn't identified the root. Sometimes we run around and we try and put band-aids on the things that are the problems in our lives, but there is a root problem that God wants to get to. By the Spirit of God, and by His anointing, And if we will position ourselves, though maybe we don't want to change, it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to do, to bring us to a place where we submit to Him and we can receive His revelation to us to help us break through these things. This is a lot of my heart for people. This is my own testimony. It is God who works both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. There's a lot more that I could say, but I don't think I need to say it. Angela, did you want to say something? Oh, I know we've already ministered to to people today, and I know that the clock is ticking and all of those things. But Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, if there's more work to be done, if people earlier thought, well, yeah, maybe I'll respond, but then they didn't. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would arrest them. God, be, be that person that we're reading about right now again to us as we come to you, Jesus, we say, Lord, we need your help. We do not want to be stuck. We want to be the people you've called us to be. We want to go on great exploits with our God and do all of what you have called us to do. Oh God, we humble ourselves. We do not want to be people whom you resist, but rather we choose to humble ourselves. In Jesus' name,